0: Spring Hill. Welcome to Black Alley. You are now listening to Flesh, starring Quiva Coburn Gray, Chris Wally, and Patrick Martins. Enjoy.
1: I think it's probably easy to look at how things ended up and to make sort of judgments on it all. I know I used to do that all the time. Open up the paper, read a headline. Five dead in Midlands gun slaughter three women charged in assault of 87 year old man that's a real one i read they used a hammer on him and you think you know jesus christ jesus christ i'd never do anything like that that's disgusting that's not me but i think Really, when you say that, what you're really saying is just, please, Lord, please never let me find myself in a position like that. You don't want to acknowledge it. You want no part of it. But you know, it's there. That sticky black spot right on the bottom of your soul. And honestly, I really hope you never find yourself in a position like that, facing the sticky black spot. But I also hope that next time you pick up a paper or your phone pings with a headline and you read it and you're horrified and you discuss it all with your friends or family, and everyone says, my God, how horrible, who would do such things? I hope you remember that it was probably very different. You know, if you were there living it, if you were there at the time,
2: The Samurai. I fucking love the Samurai. Japan, Japanese culture. Mm. The Samurai used to have this very strict code of honor. It, uh, I forget what it's called. But basically, if you brought dishonor to your name, you had to commit seppuku, (laughs) ritual suicide. You had to disembowel yourself on your own blade that's how much it meant to them honour. Like the forty seven Ronin. There was this town, right? And the emperor was planning to visit it. So he sends his like he sends his, his civil service guy there to prepare like. And this guy let, let's call him Aiden. This guy's a complete dick. And he ends up in a confrontation with the local samurai leader. And eventually this samurai well he, he loses his temper and he attacks him. And since this is such a big deal, Aiden forces the samurai to commit seppuku. And he does it. Just like that,
3: he does it. Well, not to be cliche, but I think it's best to go to the beginning, if you'll oblige. When I was about seven, I went to play on our road. My dad was meant to be looking after me. My mother was, well, I don't know where my mother was. Now, there was one spot, a building site at the corner. Apartments now. I wasn't allowed anywhere near it. So naturally, the second I had a chance, I went straight over there, crawled under the fence. There were bricks and metal and old scaffolding everywhere. So I started jumping from one piece to the other, probably playing The Floor's Lava. I remember I was wearing wellies. I always think it's funny that you never know that you're living through the most significant moments in your life until after the fact. It's retrospective, isn't it? We apply the meaning. We make those moments into the stories of our lives.
1: I did hate him, but more than that, I felt like he was sucking all of the life out of me out of the world every time he took up a new hobby became obsessed with fermentation or fucking feudal japan i'd come home from a shift absolutely exhausted and he'd be giving me these lectures for hours what a fucking drain never cleaned up his own mess I'm not talking physical mess, no. Though, needless to say, he didn't do that. No. Everywhere he'd go, he'd drag people down to his level. Leave people feeling... tangled. And alone. And dirty. And petty. And... Disgusting. And then he, he, he could leave. Just leave. Never cleaning up the mess.
2: His lands are taken away from him and all his samurai are made masterless. Ronan. 47 of these guys, they met in the middle of the night and their leader, let's, let's call him Declan. Declan says, We must take revenge for our master's killing. We must slaughter Aiden for his cowardice and lack of honor. The consequences will be great, and the way will be hard. But this we must do. So they all agreed. 47 of them banded together, and they swore an oath of revenge. They caught Aidan, cowering and snivelling, and they beheaded him and brought the head to the tomb of their fallen master. After that, they turned themselves in. Then they committed seppuku. Just like that, they disemboweled themselves, all of them. I think... ...and honour was restored. It's not really respected anymore, is it?
3: honor. I don't fucking think so. Anyway, long story short, I stumbled and fell off a sheet of plywood. I fell into a piece of rusty scrap metal that was jutting out. It sliced right up my leg from my knee to my hip. The blood immediately started pumping out. I fainted, obviously. I woke up in a little puddle of my own blood. I cried for a while. I think I thought I was going to die, but eventually I realised I'd have to make my way back to the house, so I got up, roaring, crying and limped home. When my dad opened the door, he knew immediately what had happened. Kept staring at the blood, He, he carried me in and laid me down on our table. He told me I was very brave for making my way home like that. He didn't bring me to the hospital, he just looked at my leg for a while. Felt like a long time actually. Then he cleaned the wound and started to tell me a story. It was a story about a plane disaster. A story that I was much, much too young for. It was a story of Uruguayan Air Force flight 571. Flight from Montevideo to Santiago in Chile, 1972. I should mention, I am in remembering all this from when I was seven. I've done a bit of my own research since then. The flight's only meant to take a couple of hours, right? But unfortunately, for this group of passengers, they didn't make it to Santiago. The plane crashed, 11,000 feet up in the Andes Mountains the wings were shared off and the fuselage of the plane ended up smashing down in the face of the glacier surrounded by these huge snowy mountain peaks 11 passengers died immediately another 10 or so didn't make it through the night a search was launched straight away but they couldn't spot the plane in the snow it was called off after eight days but the passengers 16 of them They lasted out there for 72. Eventually, two of them managed to hike for 10 days. No supplies, no equipment, nothing. They made it to Santiago. Authorities were alerted. Survivors rushed to safety. So I guess that was dad's moral Survival I think.
1: There was this incident. Basically, we were at his mum's. Lovely, lovely woman. Funny how that's often the way. His sister was over with her husband and there too, and his brother with their little boy. Lorkin. He was in a weird mood from the beginning. I wondered if it had something to do with the kids. I don't think I'd ever seen him around children before. And it was a kind of, you know, just a normal, nice occasion. Barbecue. The parents were outside and the kids were just pottering about in the garden. And just as the food was coming off the barbecue, it started to rain like really pissing down. Everyone grabs their plates and runs into the kitchen, laughing about the sudden change of the weather in that family barbecue chat kind of way. And Lorkin, a little seven year old boy, he starts crying. Everyone crowds around him to see what's the matter. Lorcan's left his food outside in the rain. He's a child, you know? And I can see him looking at Lorcan. I can tell he's jealous of all the attention. He says he'll go get the food. Everyone protests, obviously. It's absolutely lashing, like. But he does. He marches out and picks up Lorcan's plate. A colouredy kid's plate. And then. Here's the key part. No one else is looking at him now. I'm facing the window, so I'm the only one that can see. He takes the plate. It's got a burger and a hot dog. And no one's looking at him. He takes the plate and he spits on the food. He spits on it and then he uses his fingers to rub it in. To make it look like, well, to make it look like no one spat in it, I guess. And the thing was, it wasn't like Lorcan had, had embarrassed him in some way. And he thought he was alone, you know? There was no one to impress. So that was it. That was the moment. Seeing him out there spitting on a seven year old's burger in the rain. That was the moment I knew I had to kill him.
2: I was accused of bullying, right? <laughs> Lord of fucking bollocks. Brought into the big man's office. Him sat there in his big chair like like a fucking throne he thought it was or something. He wouldn't tell me. GDPR. But I fucking you, Martin, little cook. He's going on about some serious action must be taken and all that sort of shite, you know? You're going to take that? That saddle sniffer's word over mine? Get real, I said. Get real, pal. I said it, you know, I said it just like that to his face. Then I walked out. I'm not working in a place like that, where no one can stand behind their own fucking, you know, like where honour, where honour means nothing. And yeah, yeah, I may have been a bit harsh on Martin sometimes, but you know, at least I can admit that. And just for the record, he is a fucking prick.
1: The thing was, it wasn't just that he spat on a seven-year-old's burger. For me, It was what that action represented. It was an epiphany. I just suddenly realized what a nasty, nasty creature he was. And after my epiphany, I started, I don't know, amusing myself by plotting his murder. I don't know why, but It was always giving him a light shove off a cliff. Wouldn't take much. But then, with something like murder, you stick to your strengths, right?
3: I've always felt that there's been something, some internal mechanism in me that never quite clicked. But then I think the thing is, everyone thinks that about themselves. And the problem is, You feel different your whole life. Then you discover it. That thing. That thing that actually does make you separate from the pack. And it's just the most terrifying thing in the world. Even though we're all like that, we're all insane. I suppose, in my case, if people knew my shame, I'm not sure many would accept me with open arms.
1: It would blow your mind how easy it is to steal drugs from a hospital. Taking babies' candy doesn't cut it. Sorry, I should clarify that. It's easy to steal drugs if you're a nurse and not stupid. Can't just be anyone bopping around robbing hospitals also, obviously depends on what you're after control drugs like methadone or opiates that's tricky but they're the ones you're stealing for pleasure the other drugs though the ones that don't give you a buzz no one's keeping an eye on those insulin the storeroom is full of it No one would notice it missing, and no one would be checking for it in an autopsy. It'd be much more likely that they would assume it was a seizure caused by the copious amounts of cocaine both in his possession and in his system. That wouldn't require faking. See, for insulin, it's an injection, but it's only a subcut. Tiny, tiny needle just under the skin. I knew I could do it while he was asleep. It was too easy. I took the insulin the next day during my shift. Kept it in the fridge in a box of seitan. Pretty sure far away he wouldn't find it there. Then I had to wait. Four weeks. Four weeks to make sure everything was in order. And it was four weeks until that night
2: bumped into him and called us on the way home. I was getting a bottle of wine, you know, to celebrate my freedom. I hadn't seen him in, Jesus, it must have been three years at this stage. We were in the same year in college. He told me his, I think he said his dad died a couple of months back. I mean, you could tell he was sort of like, he was sort of caught up about the whole thing. I, I I would have gone to the funeral if I'd known. Well, I mean, maybe, maybe I would have. I dunno, I don't know if that would have been appropriate. Actually also, you know, fuck that. Do you know what I mean? Anyways. I think he said his dad died. And he's working in a law firm in town and that and that he was living alone. Uh to be honest to be honest, I wasn't really paying full attention because I was trying to figure out, you know, what deal to get in the wine. I know, okay, yeah, I know that sounds bad, but you know the way it is when you meet someone in the middle of a shop. I was surprised though that I hadn't heard that. Because I mean, we used to be close. I, I didn't really know what he was doing with his life now. You know, he didn't post on social media, which I think is always a bit fucking inconsiderate. Anyway, I was in a good mood and he was an old comrade. And to be honest, to be honest, I kind of wanted to show him how well I was doing now.
3: Because I am doing well. I don't know why I said yes. Because to be perfectly honest, he made my life in college a living hell. I don't know if he was more popular than I was. Jesus, more popular, Christ. But he was definitely louder. I think he thought we were buddies or something, but he didn't know. He didn't know me.
2: It was sort of half a dare. I didn't really think he'd take me up on it, to be honest. He did seem surprised. But then he said yes. (laughs) So now he's coming for dinner.
1: I remember I took a breath. Just because... Well, you know, because it's not every time you walk into your flat that you're planning on killing someone. You'd never know what to expect when you came in. But seeing him cooking a big dinner was probably the last thing I expected. I remember for a second I thought he might have cooked something nice for the two of us. Then he told me he quit his job. Then his phone rang, and he told me we had a guest, and then he went downstairs. That was it. I moved the insulin to our bookshelf. put it under a ceramic chicken he bought in Spain. I'm not sure why I did that. I think I was just confused. A guest. I couldn't think of a single person who'd have come over for dinner on his invitation. Not a single fucking one.
2: He's slimmer for sure. The fucker didn't notice that earlier. And he hasn't said sorry for being late. Fifteen minutes. I mean, not obviously a huge deal. I'm not not a Nazi like. But I mean, it's just common fucking courtesy, isn't it? His shoulders are rounder too. He's lean, well built. When the fuck did that happen? I let him in the door and she's fixing the table, making it look like she's done fucking everything for the evening. And look, here's the thing. We live in a nice apartment, okay? It's just a fact, like, I mean, it's not fucking dorky or anything, but it's fucking nice. So when people walk in, I expect them to say something, like just something small, like, oh, nice pad. I don't know, but it's politeness at the end of the day, isn't it? He doesn't say a word about it, in fact, he doesn't say anything. <laughs> it's like he's in a museum, just just having a look around. Like I'm not
3: even fucking there. He'd grown a fucking ponytail. And she was... Not beautiful. I, I mean, she was. I'm, I, I'm sure she was beautiful. But what I'm talking about... She was exactly what I had imagined in my head. Exactly. I... It's like when you're hungry. You close your eyes and you picture a pizza, a steak, a, a burger. You know exactly what it looks like. The one you want. The platonic ideal. That's what she was to me. The platonic ideal of a burger. fuck's sake, sorry. He sat me down and offered me a drink. And I'm feeling kind of dizzy, almost. I think I was emotional or vulnerable because... I'll see, my mum had... Sorry, I... I don't know. The three of us chatted for a minute, but to be honest, I couldn't really focus on what anyone was saying. I kept looking at her forearms.
1: It was completely bizarre. It was as if neither of them had ever met before or couldn't remember each other's names or something. I was angry. He had completely disrupted everything. I knew that there was no way he could know. That I just needed to wait it out. I had to excuse myself to the bathroom to calm down.
3: Then she went, I think she went to the loo then, and the two of us were sitting alone. I didn't want to say anything, and and he didn't know what to say. Then we both tried to speak at the same time. I asked him about the football, and he said, I'm so sorry about the loss of your dad. Just like that. I'm so sorry about the loss of your dad. Oh, oh, it was it was horrific. It felt like it forced him to do it. Like he was a child being punished. I just said it was my mum. My mum died. Oh. That's it. Then we sat in silence. I think. I think I would have just left, if she wasn't there. But she was there. He got up after about a minute, to check on the dinner. I get it, like, your
2: mum died, but fuck me, it was an honest mistake. They're giggling now. She's going high-pitching, and he sounds like he's trying to make his voice deeper. I mean, I tried. I tried, you know, to say the right thing, and now he's just fucking punishing me for it. And now he's fucking telling her about it, and the two of them are just having a big fucking laugh at me. I can feel myself wondering why I invited him here, but I know why. I want tonight to go swimmingly. I want him to see what I've got. I want him to have a great fucking time, and laugh at my jokes, and really, really enjoy himself. And then, I want him to go back home after and be fucking miserable. Tonight will go well. It will go well. But, oh, fuck this, do you know what I mean? This is fucking bullshit.
1: I remember wondering if he was going to spit in our dinner. He was sulking. Not that that was uncommon. Not at all. It was just... And now he left the two of us together. I didn't like his energy. I remember that. Felt as though he was laughing. Behind his stone face. His mannerisms too. Just the way he moved was, was slow and sort of exaggerated. As if he'd learned it from a YouTube video or something. I felt on edge with him. I just wanted dinner to be over. To get back to the plan. It smelled nice.
3: Meat. It was completely intoxicating. Greasy, fatty, succulent smoke. It just overwhelmed the whole room. looking at her with that smell he finally came out to join us and he went to open a window but I told him not to told him I was cold so he kept the smell inside too cold (laughs) too cold (laughs)
2: okay fine Like, do they not know that I just fucking heard them? I know they were chatting away. Now I walk into the room and they just instantly stop. (laughs) This is ridiculous now, do you know what I mean? Two of them staring up at me for entering the room. So I say, what were you talking about? She's just looking at me with this stare as if I've interrupted their fascinating conversation, as if I'm not in my own fucking home. And I look over at him and he's just smiling at her. They're sharing a fucking glance. Like a fucking, like a fucking Jane Eyre novel. And I can tell from his face, I can tell I've caught him. I know their fucking game. What were you talking about?
1: We were discussing sex work. His response was a snort. Fucking schoolboy. Then he sort of recovered. This second wind. Remembered that he was meant to be more mature than that. So he looked down at the two of us and says...
2: Yeah, well, all that's online nowadays. Because it is, I know. I've read articles on it, actually. I know my shit in that as it happens. And she's looking at me now. And no one says anything. I hear him sort of sniggering performatively, do you know what I mean? And she's just, she's just lapping it up. She looks at me and says...
1: Jesus Christ. You sound like my granddad. He just stared down and the two of us started laughing at him. I could see the fury.
2: Talking about something they don't have the first fucking clue about and then just laughing in my face. Fucking laughing, sweetly together. So I look at her and I smile as sweetly as I can. I look at her and say, I sound like your (laughs) granda. Well, that's funny, isn't it? Because you just sound like a cunt. And the silence then. It is the most beautiful sound I have heard this evening. Glorious. We all sit in it, stew in it. And then I'm reminded of my dinner. So I get up, slow as you like like a fucking samurai, stroll into the kitchen. Time to play it all.
1: I found myself staring at the ceramic chicken. I was willing time on, pushing for that moment when I could lift up that chicken and prepare the needle and watch his face go pale and his skin go clammy. Watch his arms thrash and then twitch and then stop unconscious. I don't want to make him sound exciting. He wasn't. It was tedium. He made a lot of noise. He certainly liked that. But it really was unrelentingly boring. His petty fury. I think I would have acted on my impulses sooner if he wasn't so weak. It was that stasis, that moment of pause you have before you squish a bug beneath your thumb. Because the bug is so weak, you hesitate. Just for a second in that moment, I was trapped in that hesitation.
3: He came out with these huge piles of stew in bowls, carrying all three at the same time with his thumb wedged so far into one it was touching some of the meat. He slopped this bowl in front of me. Moroccan lamb tagine with apricots and flaked almonds. He didn't even give her a bowl, he just stared at me, waiting for my response, like I was a Georgian Master Chef or something. I was starving, like, but I couldn't resist. I put on this sort of shocked face and looked up at him and I just went. Does this have meat in it? I'm vegan. That was, that was especially funny to me. But he bought it. His, his lip started quivering. He dropped the bowl on the ground and they smashed and the curry and couscous went everywhere and then he turned on his heel and walked out of the room. We could still hear him breathing in the hall. No
2: response. I mean, they know where I am. They can apologize or call for me or anything at all. I start to count down from 11. I don't know, I don't know why 11 in my own home my old fucking kingdom. Okay, 11,
1: I knew he wanted one of us to go and check on him. We didn't move, obviously. It was absolutely hilarious.
2: (laughs) Neither of them, (laughs) neither of them are coming. Three, two.
1: Then he left.
2: Leaving with a door slam is one of the worst grand gestures because you don't even get to see the reaction. Then you're out in the fucking rain with nowhere to go. Except for a pint. Go to Cregan's, get fucking sloshed, and if he's there when I get back, then I'll teach him a fucking lesson. He won't be there though, so it won't come to that. But if he is, it's an honor thing, really. I wonder should I go somewhere else, but Cregan's is cheap and it's close,
3: so there you go. I couldn't believe it at first, that it was just me and her. There was lamb and a fucking gunk everywhere. She was just sitting, staring at it. I could hear her in the silence, telling me to excuse myself, to go, but I... I didn't want to go. I was still hungry. I went down to clean up the mess, but she suddenly jumped up and rushed over. And as she was picking up, I don't know, a bit of one of the bowls or something, she must've... She cut her hand. And it was the sight of it then. The blood trickling down her wrist. That was it then. She put her hand to her mouth to stop the bleeding. Then she went off to the bathroom to find a bandage. She stayed in there for a long time. I knew she wanted me to go. She wanted me to get my things and leave without saying a word. But I didn't want to leave. I wanted... I don't know what I wanted, really. I think I just desperately wanted to tell her. To share my shame
2: with her. The smell of fags is like a ton of fucking bricks when you walk in the door. The piss-poor ventilation of the smoking area means the bar always smells awful. I fucking... Love it. Barman spots me. Pint of Colbert's in a short. Might as well get cracking. Matches on, but volume's off. I wanna go on my phone, but I also don't want pricks looking at me thinking, who's the prick on their phone? So I pick up the paper. Tabloid trash. Front page is plastered with pictures of these two Neanderthals. Apparently, they were so sick of their job in a garage, they went postal and shot up their manager and a bunch of customers. Something like that, from what I can see they're on the run in South America at least that's what's suspected I know that that fucking rage
1: I came out of the bathroom quite quickly I turned around the corner and saw him by the bookcase at first I thought he was looking at the chicken but then he turned around and he was holding my phone he saw me and put it down made up some bullshit about trying to put music on. He smiled at me, and he sort of beckoned me over to beside him. And when I went towards him, only about halfway, he moved very quickly. Very quickly, he put my phone in his pocket and he picked up one of the bookends. We had these hefty stone bookends. I don't know where they came from. And he moved around me to the door, blocking the exit. He was just sort of holding the bookend, testing the weight of it in his hands. Then he pointed to the chairs for me to sit down. we still smiling. Once I sat down, he sat opposite me and sort of sniffed, like, (laughs) as in, like, now, that's settled. It was just so bizarre. It was like he wanted to continue chatting or something holding this blunt fucking instrument. He asked me if I'd seen the new season of criminal damages. I told him I had. He was trying to stay relaxed. But his leg was twitching under the table. Then he poured himself a glass of wine. He told me he wanted to tell me something.
2: Pint's almost gone. Fuck it, that was quick. Another. I crack and check my phone. Nothing. Which strikes me as odd. Because realistically, if he's left, I should have a text from both of them. No, 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 that's wrong. I'd have a text from him, thanking me and apologising, and I'd have eight missed calls from her. But I've got nothing. Which means, he's still in my fucking apartment. My kingdom. And they're having a little natter about the king. They're sitting across from each other on that couch and he's reaching over and saying, oh, I understand. Oh God, I understand how difficult it must be. You know, if you ever need anyone, I knew it. I fucking knew that this would happen to me.
3: That fuck. She was waiting for something, but it was, it was terrifying. I, I wanted to tell her, but I didn't know where to begin. So I told her about my father. I told her the story, the care he took swabbing and bandaging my leg, telling me of those survivors from that plane crash the way he stared at the wound. I wondered. I didn't say it, but I wondered. Did he have it too? And then I... And then I told her about my mother. I was very close to my mother. My father perhaps had a bigger impact on who I've become. I, I don't know. But I was closer to my mother. She was the one. She was the one who stopped me from giving in to my urges. And she meant a lot to me. I spoke for what felt like a long time, and she just listened. She didn't say anything, but I could tell that she was really listening. I so desperately wanted to tell her.
1: I got the feeling that it was really difficult for him, but really all that he was saying was standard sort of family stuff. the energy in the room had shifted into that dark place where all the lights are down and the shadows start to show so I said the one thing that I wanted him to know about me it felt awkward but I just told him I said I know this might sound weird but uh, he's never hit me or anything. I mean, I don't know why I felt the need to tell him that. But I did. It wasn't really that I thought he was fearing for my safety. I think I was just absolutely mortified. I told him about what he'd been like at the beginning. How pathetic. And he seemed to understand. I think because he knew him back then. Before I did, even. So he knew his quiet sort of ugliness. The kind you'd only hear if he were right next to you. Whispering in your ear. He understood that. Because I don't think people can change. Not really. But there are parts to people, aren't they? Seeds. And depending what seeds you give care and attention to, well, that's what you propagate, isn't it? When I'd met him, it was just that inner nastiness. It wasn't quite so brazen. I mean, everyone knew it when they saw him. It was amazing to watch. It was instinctual. Like they could smell the rot. That's why I chose him, really. Because I knew what we looked like. The two of us. I knew that if people saw the two of us together, me with him, it made me look like motherfucking Teresa. So I fed that nasty side of him the side that made me look better i made him more confident more assured with his opinions it was me my doing i think that was how i knew it wasn't enough to just leave him to move on and allow him to burrow deep underneath someone else's skin. I had to follow through. I had to kill him. Because then I knew, no matter what else happened, that in the grand scheme of things, I had done one good thing. One hard good thing. I'd cleaned up my own mess. These
3: are the moments of our lives. Terrifying moments, when we bare our souls regardless of consequence. Moments like that, when we reach out from inside ourselves, hoping to be understood. In that moment, I understood her. And she understood me. She understood me and my shame. So I told her. See, I didn't tell you the end of the story. When the survivors were rescued, everyone was overjoyed, obviously. It was right before Christmas but it didn't take long before whispers started rolling down the Andes Mountains. 72 days is a long time to go with no food. People started wondering about what they'd be needing up there. Soon, that smoke became fire when two Chilean newspapers printed photos of a half-eaten human leg on the front page. The survivors admitted to it. They had been feeding on their fellow passengers to stay alive. My father told me that story when I was seven. That was the first time I ever thought about eating someone.
2: Bouncers got me out front, found me in the jacks. I'm trying to stare him out of it, but he's a big fucking cunt. I tried to hock up some phlegm, but he's wise to it. Shoves me into the ground, the fucking inertia makes me feel sick, get sick.
3: I'd researched my curiosities online, like all teenage boys. I downloaded Tor, went on the dark web, joined chat rooms and servers, exchanged videos, and recipes, but never much further than that. I never acted on any of it because she saw me as pure. My mother. I knew I couldn't corrupt myself. I I knew what that would do to her, so I resisted for her. I tried to give it up completely, a number of times actually, but every time I faltered, I knew it was inevitable. and the guilt, the self-flagellation. So I gave up giving up, and I waited for her to die. And then, then she did. And I realized, I'd been resenting her for nearly 20 years and she didn't have the slightest notion I'd been punishing myself for her, and holding that against her, all without her knowledge. I hated her, and I loved her, and now she was dead, and I felt vile. Vomit.
2: Everywhere. Oh, that moment of relief. I'm purging something. But the gagging snaps me back. Hacking cough, spitting out boil. I'm imagining spitting the boil into his fucking face, choking him and spitting this stringy, yellowy boil into his eyes. I roll a fag, crooked. I try to go into cultists to buy a knife, but they've got a bouncer who won't let me in. A cultist with a
3: fucking bouncer? Fuck's sake, this city's gone to the fucking dogs. That's when I started buying things on the dark web. I'd order them to a parcel locker outside a petrol station. I'd wait for hours, watching before I'd pick anything up. Then I'd rush home and take them out straight away. At first, it was just a finger. That was enough. The buzz off eating it. I felt high for weeks on that. But the buzz fades, and then you want more. That taste, that taste is fucking addictive. Then you wanna go further, you wanna try fresh meat. So you start going to the gym a bit, getting strong, getting ready for whenever opportunity might strike.
2: There's something. Something in the bottom of my stomach. Bubbling there. Not panic. I thought there'd be fear or, or panic or adrenaline or, or or something. But this is not fire. This is ice. I feel like the fucking Terminator. I'm a fucking samurai. I'm a Ronin. The
1: whole time he was speaking, he was tripping over his own words and going back on himself it wasn't like you know the Bond villain speech (laughs) he kept glancing up at me but he couldn't hold eye contact he was expecting me to run his whole body was tensed up for it but I didn't I just waited till he looked up at me and I stared him down and I said, what would your mother think of you right now?
3: I saw what she was doing. I knew what it was, but her... Something about the way she said it, it... It caught me off guard. I mean... I, I don't mind saying I... I started crying a bit. Because she knew me.
1: I don't know. It it was just the first thing that came to my head. He seemed like the kind of snivelling gobshite that might crack from it. And it worked, so... He just completely broke down. dropped the bookend on the floor and was just... sobbing. And thanking me for some reason. It would have been funny if it wasn't so pathetic.
2: I always take the stairs two at a time. My heart is going 90 now. I can hear my heartbeat pounding in my ears. This this is about honour. This is about defending my name. These two fucks! I'm a samurai. I'm the Shogun. I'm fucking Declan. Key in the door, straight through. I'm sort of barreling towards the kitchen and I pass her into the kitchen. I pick up the knife and turn around. And they're both there. Her close to the door, him standing in the middle of the room there. He, He looks like he's been crying or something. And by his feet is one of those bookends I got her for Christmas a few years ago. And the two of them looking at me now. This, this is not how I pictured it, not at all. I'm, I'm trying to get my head around what was going on before, but I think I saved her. I, I think I saved her life. But then she sort of snickers. I don't know why, but that laugh, That cruelty rings right through my skull. (laughs) So I decide it doesn't really fucking matter. I want to hurt them both. And I'm holding the knife.
1: He was sweating a lot and sort of shaking his upper body. I don't know what he wanted. Maybe for us to be screaming or something, but it was just so quiet.
2: They're not scared enough, but they'll be scared. I'll make them fucking scared. Then I hear it, this this guttural sound. It starts in my belly and I can feel it shooting up through my insides and piercing through my throat. I sound like a fucking animal. Like some sort of other-worldly being. The boil returns, I can feel it on my breath, so I spit
1: in him. Then he started sort of screeching, and spitting in our direction. Yeah, then I was a bit scared.
2: The scream in my head is deafening. Something comes out of my mouth. Some, some sentence half-formed, but I can't even hear it.
1: He said, I'm gonna glut you like a pig. I suppose in the heat of the moment he mispronounced it. I presume, anyway.
2: The adrenaline and fags burning in my lungs. I should be fucking exhausted, but I just feel on fire. I'm Declan on fire. I'm looking at him and he knows now, (laughs) he knows. I lunge at him hard. He takes a step, but the stupid fucks backed himself into a corner. Nowhere to go now. I can see it in his eyes. I drink it in sheer fucking terror. He's trying to weigh up his options. I had no choice. Nowhere to go. I had to pounce back. So I move first, swing at his face to scare him from moving, but I'm too heavy-handed, not quick enough. He tries to grab my hand, flails at it, so I point the knife at him. He darts quick then. (laughs) I mean, that's the great fucking thing about knives, isn't it? I'm gripping it tight, cackling now. (laughs) He's terrified. He's aiding. I might be head this cunt. I faint with the knife, flicking it through the air. He buys it and moves left, so I plunge it at his chest. I miss him by about half an inch, that, that would have killed him. I swing again, this one he ducks smooth under my arm and shoves his palm in my face. It connects with my nose, I feel it crunch, broken. He slaps me now, wide arm, so hard I almost fall over. He's breaking my fucking face. I can't fucking see, he, he grabs me by the hair, starts reefing me around. I've got about five seconds here before I black out. He's bashing me against the walls, but he doesn't get the knife. This time I swipe blindly and I can feel it. The blade cutting through his belly. I hear it as well. I'm that close, hear it tearing through.
1: He screamed then, almost doubled over.
2: Looking up at me, sort of pleading with his eyes. I look back. Then I smiled.
1: The two of them were locking eyes with each other. Him smiling maniacally.
3: Holding the knife sort of lazily. Just choosing what he was going to do to me.
2: I have time now. I think I want to cut him to the ground before the choking.
1: It was like the two of them were playing some sort of absurd game, enacting out scenes from a movie. As far as they were concerned, I wasn't even in the room.
2: Breathe. Inhale hard through my nostrils. I really, really genuinely want to savour this moment. He tried. He really did. He invaded my castle. He tried to dishonour me. But then when it came to combat, well, I just bested him. I could feel his eyes on me. We both know it's time for his reckoning. Hearts pounding now, time to take my prize. I wonder, I wonder how long it would take to saw off his fucking head. I look down on him. I see his, I see his face, his eyes pleading. (laughs) He thinks I'm gonna kill him. But this is enough. It's enough just for him to know that I can. This is all I wanted, this moment. This utter subjection. You're mine. Then, for the briefest millisecond, I hear it before I see it. I think I'm hearing my own skull cracking.
1: I swung it as hard as I could. The bookend. Got my whole body behind it. The force knocked him over. And me too, almost. I sort of stumbled and dropped it. He hit his head on the way down as well. Bleeding started so quick. But he was still very much alive. Moving and thrashing. She's on top of me now.
2: I can feel the weight. My vision's coming and going. But I spot the knife and I go for it. Pain shoots up my wrist. He's stamping on the hand. The hand? My hand. Fuck, I I, I can't tell. can't tell what's happening. Where's the knife? Vision's going, I think. But I look up and I can make out her shape. She's holding her arm high, away from me.
1: I drew it away, out of his reach. I think he was sort of delirious. He was trying to say something, but his tongue was just sort of lolling about in his mouth while he was moaning
2: then it clears and I can see her face her eyes her eyes now staring down at me like I stared at him but
1: he was kind of looking up and I could see him pleading and apologising just desperately trying to connect with me eyes. I stared back down at him, mustering all the fury and disgust and contempt, and rained it down upon him. No hate. Pushing the loathing out of me. No hate at all. So that he knew. That's the last thing he knew for certain in this world. Love then I stuck him with the knife.
3: It was brutal. I mean, I'm not squeamish about blood, obviously, but she plunged it under his chin. There was a change in his eyes, and I thought he was dead at that stage. But then he started coughing up the blood, so she twisted it. then he was definitely dead. She stayed on him for a while. I had time to look at the body. He still looked sort of alive. I don't know. She looked so alone. I checked my wound. It was this gaping hole. I could see inside of me. It was horrifying.
1: It was a bit of a cut. He got a bit of a cut. I mean it was in his stomach so I'm sure it was painful but I mean he was still able to move and walk and everything else. The way he was carrying on, holding himself and checking the bleeding and all. Jesus. There was silence for a while then. Settled in the room. I'm not sure how long. It was probably only a minute or two, but it felt like an age. Eventually, he looked up at me. I could see. He was afraid of me now. He reached his hand up in that slow, alien way. And he said, I can deal with this. I can handle this and make it all go away. I can take care of this for you. All that sort of shite. But there was this absolute conviction on his face. Like he knew. He knew what to do.
3: I had fantasized about this for so long. Even though I'd never done it before, I felt like a memory, recounting it to her. Part of me was wondering what she would think of me, knowing all of this. But I told her what I could do for her. I think she was just confused at first, but I went through everything methodically and I explained the consequences if we didn't act quickly. I didn't know what to do with my hands. After I finished, I thought she looked as if she might start crying. I thought she might ring the police. She didn't say anything, but I needed her to say. So I asked her. When she didn't reply, I asked her again. I think I asked her three times.
1: Honestly, I just didn't understand. I mean, I could hear everything he was saying. It was just, it was his fear. He was just talking and talking as if we were on the same side, as if he hadn't tried to fucking murder me 15 fucking minutes before. And while he was just talking, and talking, giving me his little speech. I think he thought he was doing me some kind of favour. You could hear it in his voice, this magnanimous tone, but the whole time I was just waiting for him to shut the fuck up, to leave. But he just kept asking me if I wanted him to enact his, his plan. He asked me five fucking times. So I just said, do it. It's not what I wanted to say, though. What I wanted to say was this. I'm going to fucking nail you. I'm going to fucking nail you. And then you'll never see me again.
3: It took a long time. I went down and parked my car right outside the door. I got bin bags and wrapped them up. I had to carry him down the stairs. It took a lot longer than I would have guessed. He kept rubbing off my stomach. It sent screams of wet pain up from the wound. And when I closed the boot, I thought there would be relief. But I could still feel him, caught in my chest. Then I went back up to sort of say goodbye. But she was just standing by the bookcase, facing away from me. I think she was shell-shocked or something. She'd left the knife on the floor I put it in a bag to bring with me and I wasn't going to do anything at that stage but I still remember thinking I don't know that was surprising then then all of a sudden she turned and she rushed over and sort of hugged me it was so fast I didn't really know what was happening she kind of tripped into me and her left hand pushed against my stomach and I screamed and kind of bent over. I, I think I thought she stabbed me. But then she pulled her hand away and apologized. I sort of just stood there in pain. She didn't mean to. But it was such a weird gesture, I... I don't know. Then I left.
1: The second he left, I picked up the phone. No, sorry, that's a lie. I waited for a bit. Waited till I could hear him go down the stairs. I didn't know how far he'd make it. I tried to imagine him walking down the street again, getting in his car and pulling onto the road. Then I took one big breath. Two. Three. Four. Then. Then I picked up the phone and rang.
3: Of course, I was excited as well. I mean, he wasn't her. But he was fresh meat. And the adrenaline as well. I was buzzed. But then all of a sudden, I felt like I got hit by a fucking truck. I could feel my heart going faster and harder under my shirt. I tried to breathe, but my whole chest felt constricted. I needed to vomit. I was sweating like a pig. I just managed to pull over before I passed out. I woke up with a guard knocking on the window. I don't know how long I'd been there. I couldn't figure out what happened to me. My brain felt like I was thinking through mud or static or something. Guard asked me where I was going. I said, home. From where? The friends. And what's in your boo? What's in my boo? Golf clubs. I never played golf in my fucking life. Do you mind if I take a look?
1: Fuck. Distressed. A distress call. I was distressed. Anyone would have been distressed. Gave them a description told them to check the boot hung up it had been so quick and when I checked the needle it was still about half full I think the pain of the wound worked as a distraction while I pricked him just below his belly button so I hadn't got it all in but I was just hoping I'd got enough I knew it wouldn't take long
3: I was still reeling. I thought I'd get sick. I found myself babbling random cliches I'd seen in videos on Facebook. I think at one point I asked him if I was being detained. He said yes.
1: When they arrived, I told them exactly what had happened. Well, almost exactly. It didn't take much. Adaptation. There was one moment near the beginning of the evening when I came in from the bathroom. I saw the two of them. I think they were doing a toast or something. And I saw them and I thought. Maybe, maybe this is the beginning of something. Maybe tonight is going to go well and he'll have a friend. Wouldn't that be something? Maybe everything is going to be all right. That was the best I could hope for. turned out even fucking better go figure
0: you have been listening to Flesh starring Quiva Coburn Grey Chris Wally and Patrick Martins Flesh was written and directed by Finthon Larney production and editing by Morgan Bosang scoring by Isaac Jones and Morgan Bosang If you've enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. And we would really, really appreciate it if you told a friend, shared the podcast, and followed us on social media. You can find us at springheelproductions.com or on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. We'd like to give a special thank you to the following people. Without them, this podcast would not have been possible. Special thanks to Jack Farrell, Jenny Sharif, Mary Irving, Dylan Coburn Gray, Dominic O'Brien, Aina Hardwick, Amelda and Brian Bosang, Roisin Dennis, Connor and John Larney, and Eleanor Scott. And thanks to you for listening. See you next time.